before we move on, let me just uh, pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. We just pray tonight as we uh, uh, look at Paul's letter to the Philippians that you will speak to us afresh through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were here this morning, it was loud, it was busy, it was noisy. It was Superhero Sunday. And since it's still Superhero Sunday, or what did Luke call it? It was Super Compassion Sunday, or Superhero Compassion Sunday or something like that. So we're sort of wrapping this all around the superhero theme with compassion, superheroes, and Paul's letter to the Philippians. Well, have you ever noticed that when a superhero discovers, let me just flick that over, this our superheroes, when they discover they've got this superpower, that their lives take on a new purpose, and you see the good superheroes become crime fighters and campaigners for justice. And they use their superpowers, whatever that may, whatever form or shape that may take, to fight evil villains who are intent on creating havoc and havoc and destruction, or they want to rule the world or destroy it, whichever. But did you know that when we decide to follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, our perspective on the world changes? Our priorities in life change. And we are given a new power to face the realities of everyday living. Everything changes when we become believers. And like the comic book superheroes, we find that we have a new purpose in life. And that Jesus has called us to live this new purpose. But unlike the comic book superheroes... This purpose, our purpose, God's purpose is real. It's not fiction. When we turn to the Bible, we find many examples of people whose lives were turned around when they placed their faith in God, when they had a God encounter. And they found that they had a new God-given purpose. And through him, they did some amazing things. Just read the accounts of Abraham or, or Moses or Joshua or David, or Elijah, or Elisha. And then in the New Testament, read about uh, Peter and John, and finally the Apostle Paul. Just read those accounts, see what I mean. They were superheroes, real-life superheroes, unlike the fantasy superheroes we encounter in the world of Marvel and DC Comics. So tonight we're going to look at the Apostle Paul in particular, one of those great Christian superheroes of the New Testament. Now, let me just be clear about this. Paul didn't wear a cape. He didn't fly through the air or anything like that. In fact, his physical appearance was really not much to inspire us. In one source outside the Bible, he was described as a man of small stature. I read something this afternoon that said he was only four foot six high. So, Kathy, you would have been tall compared to... Paul, four foot six, that's really, really short. Um, he had a bald head and crooked legs. It's probably bowed legs. He was short, he was bent over. 
But he was in fairly good health, a good state of body. He was fairly robust given what he went through. He had thick, bushy eyebrows that met in the middle and a nose that was somewhat crooked. Not the picture of someone who would inspire us at first glance. You see the medieval paintings and statues of Paul as sort of a towering figure with long hair, beard and strong and stature. But in reality, Paul was a bent over, wizened little man. He even had a very ruddy or um, red complexion like that of a pomegranate, one writer said. And yet, this short, uh, hunched man with bushy eyebrows, eyebrows was an absolute powerhouse, a superhero for the gospel of Christ. And he was actually responsible for writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he was responsible for planting churches from one end of the Roman Empire to the other. And you could say that since that time, since his time, he has actually influenced literally millions of people around the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, a real superhero. Now, jumping into Philippians, the background of the letter of Philippians is that Paul for the past four years, had been in very unpleasant, difficult situations. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea in Palestine and he was in prison on a trumped-up charge. And he was then put in a, on a ship to go to Rome to appear before the Emperor Nero. And this was not something to look forward to because Nero was not known for his niceties towards Christians. But on the way... He was shipwrecked, landed on um, an island and he was bitten there by a poisonous snake, but he survived. And when he finally, after all this, arrived in Rome, he spent yet another two years in prison awaiting trial with a strong possibility of being executed, although it says he hoped that he would be released. But he wasn't, it wasn't a sure thing. And during this two-year period in Rome... He was chained to a palace guard for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He had absolutely no privacy. Yet in spite of all this, look what he writes in Philippians 1.18. I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. <laughs> What's Paul's secret, we might ask? How does he stay positive in prison and stay joyful continually in spite of the fact that everything had not turned out the way he'd planned or hoped. In this passage that Andy read to us, Paul gives us four insights that he learned about living a new life for Jesus and how it transformed him from an ordinary person to a remarkable person, a real superhero of the Bible. Now, you know, everyone has problems. Let's just start with that. We all encounter difficulties or challenges in life, hardships, sometimes suffering, sometimes illness. But the first thing Paul teaches us is that our problems are not as important as how we actually look at them or regard them. Our perspective is what makes the difference. How we see these things is what makes the difference. So see what Paul says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
Now, Paul is seeing even the best in the worst of situations because he can see God at work in problems even when they don't go his way. He says non-believers are being witnessed to because of his attitude towards them. And believers, the believers in Rome and beyond, are being encouraged by his witness. And in verse 13, as it continues, he says, As a result, it becomes clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. But I don't think this is how he intended to go or how he intended to end up. Instead of a tourist trip or a business trip to Rome, God sent him to Rome as a prisoner in chains. And there he was chained day and night to a member of the palace guard. Now, you and I might see this as something of a failure or a disappointment. But Paul knew that God had things under control, that God would accomplish his purposes. And he did. During his time in prison, he would have the time to write many of the letters that we find in the New Testament, which have been preserved for us to this day. And as well, God had a purpose to him being chained to those palace guards. You see, these guards were the elite troops of the Roman Empire. They were personally chosen by Caesar to be his bodyguards. They were the highest paid soldiers in the empire. And when they retired after 12 years, they survived the battles, etc. When they retired, they were made Roman citizens. And they often became leaders in Rome or leaders in the city, Roman cities across the empire. And when you think about it, there is not a more strategic group that Paul could witness to if he's going to reach the Roman Empire. They're chained to Paul. Hey, <laughs> they have to listen to him. They, they can't escape as neither can Paul escape. But isn't it remarkable how God puts Paul in Rome? The emperor, the Caesar Nero, pays the bill, provides the accommodation, and chains a future leader of Rome to Paul every four hours. These guards, you see, they, they had an inside route to the emperor and to the palace, and as a result, even some of Nero's family become believers. Consequently, in verse 14... He writes, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul was bold. He didn't hold back in proclaiming the gospel and sharing his experiences of Jesus. You see, courage is contagious. It's catching. And it spreads. And other believers became Bold because of Paul's boldness in proclaiming the gospel. And that was because Paul had a new purpose in his life. And that new purpose changed his perspective. And it's best summed up in his declaration in Romans 8.28, that well-known verse, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28, great verse to remember when times get tough. Paul says that God has a purpose behind all our problems, all our difficulties, all our challenges in life, 
So therefore we need to discern, we need to understand what the purpose, God's purpose is for our lives. And like the superhero discovering his new powers and his new purpose in life, so our purpose in life changes when our perspective on life and the world changes to be in accord with God's purposes. Okay, now that's the first insight. The second insight that Paul gives us that helped his transformation from ordinary to remarkable is that we have a new priority to live by. In verse 15 and 16, Paul says, I'll just paraphrase if I didn't put it on the screen, not only am I in prison, he writes, but if you want to kick a man while he's down, there are guys out there attacking my ministry. They're attacking me personally. They are jealous of me. They are envious of me. Other ministers, I can't believe this, are criticising me while I'm stuck here in prison. But then he says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, there's that refrain, I rejoice. Paul said he wasn't going to let anybody steal his joy, not circumstances, not critics. He said their motives may be wrong, their style may be wrong, but if the message is getting out about Jesus, the Saviour, then so what? You see, Paul had chosen a new set of priorities and he would judge what was important by that priority. So for us, bring it home, we need to know what's really important in order to distinguish the trivial from the significant. We can live life focused on either problems or priorities. And if we don't choose our priorities, we'll go around living our life lurching from problem to problem to problem and not choosing and not, not focusing on what's really important. So, what should we live by? Well, we jump back to the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs where it says, In everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success put God first that's what counts so we need to focus on what really counts a new purpose means a new perspective and change priorities and the third insight that Paul shares is that when we invite Jesus into our lives we have a new power in our lives you see life can get us down and we need strength to keep us going in life one crisis after another can drain us. We can lose our energy and our strength is sapped. You might feel like you've done the best you could, but it never seems good enough and you feel sick and tired and depressed. And so you need a fresh power supply. Paul says that the two things that gave him strength and kept him going in spite of four years of imprisonment were the prayers of other people and secondly, the help of God's Holy Spirit. He writes, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Paul knew that people were praying for him, and he drew strength from that fact. He was encouraged that people were interceding for him in prayer. He knew that God listens to prayer, that God responds to prayer. You know, <laughs> prayer is hard. 
But prayer is very powerful. I think that's why the devil wants to keep us away from praying because he knows the prayers of the saints are powerful indeed. And our prayers can have a profound impact on the people we are praying for. You know, with, with our Compassion Sponsor Kids, they are so encouraged to know that we are praying for them personally. And our prayers encourage them. Our, our prayers for them makes a big difference in their lives. Unfortunately, we tend to underestimate the power of prayer to encourage and sustain people in times of hardship and suffering. But Paul was well aware of this power, this power of God that we can channel towards doing great things. This is part of our superpower, folks. And Paul was grateful to the Philippian believers who were praying for him. But Paul also knew that he could count on the power of the Holy Spirit living within him. You see, God gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to endure hardship and persecution. But he also gives, the Holy Spirit also gives us the courage and the boldness and the words to speak up for the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability, the power to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. The Holy Spirit helps us to live lives glorifying God, honouring God. You see, the great thing is we don't need to do life on our own. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us. Later on in Philippians, Paul states very clearly where his energy comes from. In Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. So the fourth insight that Paul shares is we have a new purpose to live for. How would you fill in, how would you complete this sentence? For me to live is. How would you fill that sentence in? If you look at TV and the ads on TV, I guess they reflect a lot of the values that people have in this world today. And based on media advertising, I'd say most Australians would fill in the blank in one of three ways. First, for me to live is stuff, possessions. Get all you can, get, get, get. Secondly, for me to live is pleasure. If it feels good, do it. Anything that makes us feel good is worth doing. And thirdly, for me to live is like power, position, prestige, popularity. People strive for success and recognition. For many people, it is popularity. They'll do anything to be acceptable, even if it means lowering their standards. The problem with possessions, pleasure, power, and popularity is they don't last, certainly not for a lifetime, much less for an eternity. They don't offer ultimate fulfilment. If that were true, then the people of the most possessions, the most pleasure, the most power, the most popularity, they would be the happiest people in the world. But look around and you'll find they aren't. The reason there is so much happiness in our world today, so many discouraged and depressed people, is because in our world there is a total preoccupation with self. What will make me happy? What is the best thing for me? 
And the most important thing in the world is me, number one. Paul was old and he was tired. He'd been in prison for four years. He was ready to go to heaven. They'd taken just about everything from him, friends, ministry, freedom, privacy. But they had taken everything except the one thing that cannot be taken from him or us, and that is a purpose to live for. He writes in verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was not afraid of dying. Death for him was just moving on to better things. Obviously from a prison cell to the glories of heaven before the throne of God. But while I'm here, he says, I have a purpose for living. I've got a reason to be here. You see, Paul had a long-term goal. He looked at things in the light of eternity. In Philippians 3, 13 to 14, he says, Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul learnt that when you have a greater purpose in life than just yourself, you'll have more joy than you can handle. There is... He said, there's no such thing as problem-free living. But when you base your life on the kinds of values that are going to last, then problems just aren't as significant. So what? Things haven't worked out as we've planned. God has a purpose for us that is bigger than any of our problems. And we need to discover what that purpose is in the world. Paul learnt that his purpose was to tell people about Jesus and to encourage young Christians in their faith. Our God-given purpose will always be for the benefit of other people. Yes, God will also want us to tell others about him and to encourage each other in the Christian walk. But, however, each of us will need to discover God's specific purpose for our life. God wants us to enjoy the rest of our life. But it starts with the foundation, foundational values that we've been talking about. And just as a quick review, do you have God's perspective in, on your life? Are you looking at problems from God's viewpoint or just your own viewpoint? God has a purpose behind every problem we encounter. And so we need to pray, Lord, help me to see this problem from your viewpoint. Help me to see what you want me to learn in this situation. Secondly, we need a priority to live by. I wonder if you have decided what's really important in your life and what should come first. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. And then in the verse in uh, Proverbs 3.6, it says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Old Testament, New Testament, the message is still the same. Put God first. Focus on what is important. Thirdly, we need a power to live on. I wonder, have you been trying to live solely on your own power, in your own strength, to solve your problems in life? Well, if that's the case, God says, relax. You are carrying a burden that you were never intended to carry. Come to God. Come to the Lord Jesus. 
Give it all to him. Lay it at his feet. Load it all on him and ask him to recharge you physically, emotionally and spiritually. And then you can say like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And fourthly, we need a purpose to live for. I wonder if you can sum up the purpose of your life in one single sentence. Everybody wants to live a long time, but why? You see, life is not judged by its duration, but by its donation. What you put into it and into the lives of other people, that's your donation. Many people are, living, are giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes. And you know what? Those causes are betraying them. For example, they may pardon me, climb the ladder of success and they get to the top and finding that ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And they'll say, is that all there is? I gave my life for this. What a mistake. What a waste. So how would you complete that sentence? For me to live is... Some people would say, for me to live is my career. You're going to give your blood, sweat and tears for your career and then it's going to be over. Some people would say, for me to live is popularity, to be popular. For me to live is to have a nice home. For me to live is food. I'm going to suggest that there is only one answer to that blank that is going to last for eternity. And you're going to spend more of your life on that side of death than you are on this side. There's only one answer. For me to live is Christ. We're talking about having a relationship with the one who made us. God made us for a purpose. Hey, we're not here by accident. We're not here just to take up space on this planet. But when you discover that purpose, God's purpose for you, and you get right in the centre of it, you will find it fits. And you will feel fulfilled satisfied and you realize that that is the reason you're here not religion not relationship paul did not say for me to live is religion or to, or church or bible study or ministry no he said the only thing worth living for is a relationship with the one who made us the risen lord jesus christ so superhero sunday Let's all become superheroes for Jesus. And I just want to conclude with Paul's words in um, verses 27 and 28. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Superheroes of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called us to be your children. You've called us for a purpose. And we pray that you would make clear your purpose for our lives, that we may live for you, growing to know you more and more and fulfilling your purpose for our lives in this world. To your honour and glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.